Again, uh, Luke uh, chapter 9, and let me pray for us as we open God's word and expect him to speak. Let's pray together. All within us falls at your throne. Your majesty, we can but bow. Living God, we pray as we bow before your words, attentive to it this afternoon, you might speak to us and encourage us and show us Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, are you um, watching the TV show The Apprentice at the moment? Uh, The premise of the show, if you've never watched it or heard about it, is that Lord uh, Alan Sugar, the founder of Amstrad and various other companies, is on the hunt for an apprentice to join his business team. Uh, And his search for a suitable candidate involves setting the contestants each week a series of challenges. And of course, that's the fun part, because the contestants are frankly hopeless. That's why it's compelling uh, TV. Yeah, through the series of challenges, uh, we learn who's up to the standard, who has a head for business. Uh, each week, one of them hears the dreaded, you're fired, I won't do the impression, uh, and then leaves the show until the last one standing hears those wonderful words that they've longed for through the 12 or however many long weeks it is, you're hired. And they join the team as Lord Sugar's apprentice. Now, the idea of being an apprentice is that you learn a a trade or a craft like plumbing or carpentry or being a car mechanic alongside someone who is a master in their respective fields. You listen to them when they speak about water pressure, or you watch them as they change a gearbox, or you imitate them cutting along the grain of the wood as you learn the craft from them, watching them, copying them, imitating them. And after you've been trained in that respective field, well, you're sent out into the world. And in many ways, that's kind of a really helpful image to take us to the heart of what's happened to the 12 disciples, that close group of Jesus' first followers. So far, we've met them a few times in Luke's Gospel. In chapter 5, we read that they're initially called to follow Jesus, and they receive this mission from him. Chapter 5, verse 10. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. In other words, you're hired. Jesus had designated 12 of this wider group of followers apostles in chapter 6, verse 13. He's nominated them as his designated authoritative eyewitnesses. They've been enrolled as kingdom apprentices. Uh, They've heard Jesus, chapter 8, verse 1, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Announcing that God's kingdom has broken into our world in a new way. Because Jesus, God's king, has come. As kingdom apprentices... They've watched Jesus very recently, and we saw this over the last couple of weeks, overcome two terrifying situations, calming a raging storm and subduing a demon-possessed man. We've seen Jesus overcome two desperate situations, healing a lady who's been sick for 12 years and raising a 12-year-old girl from the dead. These kingdom apprentices have witnessed these miracles that Jesus is performing as signs of the new world that he's making. And that he'll fully bring in one day when he returns in glory at the end of all things. It's quite a training course these disciples have been on, isn't it? These poor old kingdom apprentices. 
Think of it as the most exciting work experience placement you could ever imagine. Way more exciting than the two weeks I spent at Halfords for my work experience selling roof boxes. See, these kingdom apprentices are learning what it looks like to proclaim the kingdom of God from the master. That's why they're apprentices. But now, in Luke chapter 9, these disciple apprentices have the chance to put their training into practice, to step up, to step out, after witnessing Jesus in action themselves. That's what we see happening here. They're uh, sent out. And that dynamic is really important, isn't it? Because it shows us that Jesus didn't expect physically to be around forever. Even at this point, he knew he was going to die, rise again, and return to his Father in heaven. And he knew that his mission would carry on after his brief time on earth. And that mission would carry on through the leadership of these kingdom apprentices. The next stage in their training begins now, as they're called and sent out. But that means it's really important for us to today. Oh, in many ways, these apostles are, are unique. Uh, they literally saw Jesus with their eyes and heard him with their ears. They were authorized to establish the church, to lead it in its early days. Uh, later, they would be moved by the Spirit to write scripture, which would be the authoritative foundation for the church all through its life. None of us can say those things about us. And yet, they heard from Jesus, you're hired, and they joined his mission as kingdom apprentices. And if we're Christians, we've heard those words too. We're hired as Jesus' kingdom apprentices to join in the mission that he's left us, to take the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And that obviously includes even here in Kenilworth. Today, the next stage in our training is going to carry on as we're introduced to what it is to be a kingdom apprentice in Luke uh, chapter 9. We can expect Jesus to teach us and train us and move us in these things. I trust that will be good for us individually and together will help us fulfill our mission here as KCC. And if we're here this afternoon, we're not yet a kingdom apprentice, not yet following Jesus. Well, we'll have a chance to listen in and think about why this mission is so crucial and what that might mean for us today. So let's get trained for our mission as kingdom apprentices, thinking firstly about a kingdom commission sent out by Jesus. A kingdom commission sent out by Jesus. That's what we see in the first six verses. Here, these kingdom apprentices receive a kingdom commission. They are sent out by Jesus. See that movement in verse 1. They're firstly called together by Jesus, we read. Then secondly, in that same verse, they receive power and authority from Jesus to drive out all demons, to cure diseases. And then thirdly, they are sent out by Jesus to proclaim God's kingdom, to heal those who are ill. Called, empowered, and sent. And that order is really important. They can't be sent out before they've been empowered. That would be like trying to build Ikea flat pack furniture without reading the instructions. You're totally unprepared for what you're going to experience. You wouldn't do that. But having been empowered, they can't stay still. That would be like having all the training in the world about how to be a doctor without ever actually seeing any patients. Pointless. They're sent out. And the section ends with that same idea, verse 6, which concludes this little kind of section. 
they, they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. See, there's a connection, isn't there, between what Jesus has been doing and what these kingdom apprentices are doing. These 12 are sent out to demonstrate in miraculous signs, similar to ones Jesus has been doing, that the kingdom of God is breaking in. They're sent out to proclaim Jesus, God's king, who has come to a sin-cursed world and to our sin-cursed hearts. The apostles receive a kingdom commission. They're sent out by Jesus. But in the, like in a good sandwich, in between these two references to being sent out, which is the bread in the beginning and the end, we get the filling in the middle. And we learn two things about this commission. Firstly, we see it's urgent. I think that's the point of the details in verse 3. They're not to make lavish preparations to kind of delay. That They're to get up and get on with it. It's urgent. Take no nothing with you for the journey. Just go. Get on with it. Nothing else matters. It's urgent. I think that's the point of those unique instructions. It's urgent. But also it's serious. Look at verse 5. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. You see, if people respond positively to the twelve, those designated representatives of Jesus, all is good. <laughs> but if people don't respond positively to the, to the apostles, they show that they're under God's curse, symbolized by the twelve leaving the town and shaking the dust off their feet as a testimony against them. Think of the dust shaking like an acted picture. Something that kind of demonstrates ahead of time how God is going to shake out of his end kingdom. People who harden their hearts and don't listen to him. Or think of it like what happens when you shake a rug or a sheet outside. All the dirt and the rubbish gets removed and, and just is blown away. That's why you shake your things outside. Think of it in that kind of picture. In other words, it's reminding uh, people how serious this mission is. See, rejecting the twelve isn't just rejecting human beings. It's ultimately rejecting Jesus because they speak on his behalf with his authority. Here's the kingdom commission. The twelve are sent out by Jesus. And friends, I think these things are helpful for us to consider this afternoon as well. Although we haven't received our kingdom commission directly from Jesus in the same way as these apostles... Nonetheless, we are called, like them, to come to Jesus personally. And we can be encouraged that we too are empowered by Jesus to testify to God's kingdom today. We have his Holy Spirit living within us to enable us to do that. That's part of why the Spirit is given. Later at the end of Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, the Spirit is promised and he's described as power from on high who will enable Jesus' followers to witness to him to the ends of the earth. I'm sure you know this story. That promise of the Spirit's coming is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus' followers received power when the Holy Spirit came on them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are the days in which we live. We are sent out by Jesus to proclaim God's kingdom in the power and hope of the Spirit, to speak about Jesus' gracious rule, and to play our part in seeing God extend his kingdom. 
What an encouragement for us as kingdom apprentices this afternoon. We are empowered by Jesus for the mission he sets before us. We have all we need in the sense we have God's spirit within us to move us and be with us and help us with this. And I don't know about you, but I find that so needed and so encouraging. He can empower us when we feel scared. And we will all feel scared in one way or another at times to testify to Jesus in our world. Maybe scared of what people will think about us if we mention Jesus in conversation with them. Scared of whether people will laugh at us or reject us in some way because of our allegiance to him. Maybe scared of what will happen if the killer question about sexual ethics comes up. One of the many hot-button issues in our culture where we are radically out of step with what people think. But let's remember, we don't testify to Jesus on our own. God's Spirit is with us. He has empowered us. As kingdom apprentices, we are empowered by Jesus through his Spirit. It's a comfort. But these verses, friends, are also a challenge, aren't they? As kingdom apprentices, we are sent out by Jesus. See, we're not empowered to stay happily within our church walls or inside our own little Christian comfortable bubble. We're sent out to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom in Jesus the King. That's the dynamic, empowered, sent out. So where is Jesus sending you to today to proclaim his reality and his rule? Chris prayed about the front lines that we might be on. Where is Jesus sending us? What are your front lines where you have chances to proclaim God's kingdom today? Who is Jesus sending you out to? Your family? Your workplace? Maybe even literally to the ends of the earth, to another culture? Let's be obedient as Jesus sends us out as kingdom apprentices today. But we also need to see this is a very urgent and a very serious thing. See, what we're doing is we're proclaiming Jesus, is proclaiming the most important message in the world. The message that people's eternal destinies are fixed based upon how they respond to the king. So rejecting this is serious. So let me speak to any here today who haven't yet submitted to King Jesus, who haven't yet come under his good and gracious rule. That is how you should respond to God's king today, as God's kingdom is proclaimed to you this afternoon. So can I warn you that the stakes are high if you reject God's kingdom. You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the one in whose name I speak. The risen, reigning, ruling Lord Jesus, the king of time and eternity. Jesus' kingdom has come. It is frankly pointless to resist his rule. He, he will reign one day in undefeated splendor. And yet this afternoon he would woo you to himself. Assuring you that he's made it possible for you to enter his kingdom through his life and death and resurrection. He'd assure you that he's done enough to qualify you to come in. To be welcomed in. To belong. Responding positively to Jesus in these ways is the most sensible thing that you can ever do. These things flow out as we consider our kingdom commission. We are sent out by Jesus. Kingdom commission, sent out by Jesus. The second thing to help us as kingdom apprentices is to think and see the kingdom clash. 
uh, confused about Jesus. That's really what I think verses 7 to 9 are doing. Because they are a bit of an odd interlude, aren't they? We've had the story about the apostles being sent out. Uh, they uh, re- recur and reappear on the scene in verse 10. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but between uh, those things, you get this little strange incident about Herod the Tetrarch, verse 7. And I think what we're seeing here is God's kingdom clashing with Herod's kingdom. Let me unpack that and try and persuade you why I think that's what's going on. Uh, Who is Herod? Well, Herod is uh, a Jewish puppet ruler of Galilee at this point. He's kind of a sort of king. Again, we've met him a few times already in Luke's gospel. And he seems deeply threatened by God's kingdom, by this announcement that God really is the king and Herod really isn't. He's been threatened by it in the past. Uh, The last time we met him, uh, he arrested John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was rebuking him for his sinful way of life. Chapter 3, verse 19 to 20. And he kind of compounded his guilt by arresting John. But now we read the, the, the stakes are even higher. He's not just arrested John, he's actually beheaded John. Verse 9 tells us that. He's threatened by God's kingdom and he wants to silence those who are proclaiming that kingdom. That's the kind of point, I think, why Herod is reintroduced now. He's threatened by God's kingdom in the past and threatened and confused by God's kingdom in the present. Verse 7, he's heard about all that's going on. The the signs and the teachings about God's expanding kingdom in Jesus. And we read that he's perplexed about it. Perplexed particularly about who Jesus is. Is he John the Baptist, raised from the dead? That would be awkward considering he's the one who's put John to death. Meant to feel the discomfort of that if you're Herod, right? (laughs) Uh, Is Jesus Elijah returned as a sign of the imminent end of the world, as the Old Testament prophetic hope was? Is he one of the prophets of long ago come back to life? You see, Herod is confused about Jesus. He, He can't imagine Jesus really is God's one true king. God's kingdom clashes with Herod's kingdom here. He is deeply confused about Jesus. And again, that's important to consider. We are sent out to proclaim God's kingdom. But actually, whenever we announce that kingdom in our world, that will inevitably clash with other people's kingdoms. That's just the reality. Ever since Adam and Eve walked away from God, every person who's born wants to be king of their lives in one way or another. And so when, at least with part of our message, we announce to people that they ultimately are usurpers, that there really is only one king, Jesus, then that message clashes, it grates. People's confusion about Jesus kicks in and they don't see him as God's king. Now, the only way to avoid that clash actually is to present Jesus in a way that people naturally find appealing and can understand. And that will be a temptation to us when we feel that clash to kind of repackage Jesus in more palatable ways that will kind of connect with people. And that's a danger we want to be aware of and avoid. We can end up offering people a therapeutic Jesus. A Jesus who just makes their lives a little bit more comfortable in some tangible way. A Jesus that people can add on to their existing patterns of life without too much upset. A Jesus who will fit in with their current way of thinking and just affirm them in all the things that they already believe. But there's no kingdom clashing if that's happening. We need to be careful we don't present Jesus as some sort of spiritual equivalent to air conditioning. Like a nice add-on to make us feel better about things. That's not who Jesus is. 
We need to be prepared that as we present Jesus truly as our rightful king, who loves us dearly but claims all of our lives and demands we put everything in its right relationship under him, people's confusion about Jesus will kick in. Their kingdom will clash with God's kingdom. But that's not a reason to be afraid. That's where we started with that sense of being empowered by the Spirit. That's not a reason to stop proclaiming Jesus. It is a reason to pray, to plead for the Spirit's help, and to keep going. See, this dynamic of kingdom clashings, kingdoms clashing, has always been there. It was here in Jesus' day. It will be here in our day. So let's just be prepared for that. Let's line up with that and let's keep going. There will always be confusion about Jesus. The kingdom of God will always clash with other people's kingdoms. But we're called to keep proclaiming it nonetheless. Trusting God will work. Kingdom clashing, confused about Jesus. A thirdly and final thing for us as kingdom apprentices this afternoon is we see kingdom challenge uh, where we see our dependence on Jesus. Kingdom challenge where we see our dependence on Jesus, verses 10 through to 17. And this section concludes with a stark reminder that kingdom apprentices are always dependent, kingdom apprentices are always dependent on Jesus. Let's pick up the story, the apostles return, verse 10, and they report to Jesus all that's happened to them. Jesus is concerned for their welfare, so takes them off for some rest and quiet time. Kind of like how we need some R&R after a busy period in life. However, the crowds work out where Jesus is, and so they follow them. And yet, as opposed to my instinctive reaction, well, I'm disturbed for my rest. Jesus, we read verse 11, welcomes the crowd. He doesn't send them away. He welcomes them and speaks to them about the kingdom of God and heals those who need healing. And this kind of teaching and healing session goes on so long it begins to raise a question in the disciples' minds about dinner plans. They come to Jesus in verse 12. Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place. Sounds a reasonable logistics plan if you ask me. Very admirable in many ways. But Jesus hits them with a kingdom challenge, verse 13. You give them something to eat. I'd love to know what uh, facial expression Jesus had at that moment. I don't know. I've got some ideas in my mind, but it's fascinating. But you give them something to eat. He gives them a kingdom challenge. Wow. Now, that's impossible. (laughs) That's even beyond the scale of Lord Sugar on The Apprentice. The apostles know they can't do it. Verse 14. We've only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And there are about 5,000 people. They don't have the resources and they can't afford to buy any more resources. That's the implication. Meeting this kingdom challenge is way beyond the disciples' pay grade. But that's precisely the point. In the face of the kingdom challenge, you feed them. They're simply powerless. They can't do it. They don't have the resources. But they have Jesus. And Jesus does have the resources. Jesus does make the difference. Jesus said, verse 14, to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. 
And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle mentioned in all four Gospels. Interestingly enough, it's meant to be really significant. That's why it's repeated four times. And it's significant because it's echoing stuff that's happened in the Old Testament, or previously in the story of God's engagement with his people. Think of Exodus chapter 16. God feeds his people in the wilderness. That's kind of what happens in the Old Testament. And that soundtrack is playing again. That scene is being reenacted here. God is again feeding his people in the wilderness. Jesus, as God's king, has abundant resources. He's the one able to provide the needs of his people again and again. See, to him, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish is no challenge at all. He's well capable of doing it. In the face of the kingdom challenge, the disciples are meant to learn that they are dependent on Jesus. They need to look to him to perform the miracle, to supply the food. They can't do it. But with Jesus, it is possible. And yet Jesus does draw the disciples in. Did you know that? In the way the story ends, the the disciples do give the crowd something to eat. But only after Jesus has miraculously provided the food for them to give to the people. So the disciples do meet the kingdom challenge. They do act. They are engaged here. But they're dependent on Jesus acting first, providing what they need so that they can share it with others. So that's the dynamic we're meant to notice here. For the, king, for the crowd to be fed, for the kingdom challenge to be met, the disciples are involved. But they're deeply dependent on Jesus to make it all possible. That's what we're meant to see about the kingdom challenge. They're dependent on Jesus. And that's a great note on which to draw our thoughts towards a conclusion. Because we too face a kingdom challenge. You give them something to eat. You meet the needs of those around you. You proclaim the kingdom of God. You work to see God's kingdom sovereignly break new ground in your family, in your office, in your friendship groups as you share Jesus the king with people. We are called to action. We do have a role to play. But we can't do it, we cry. Exactly. That's the point. So we must depend on Jesus. We must look to Jesus and call out to Jesus. He alone can make the crucial, the decisive difference. He's the miracle working one, not us. He alone can take our small human resources and work miraculously to expand them and to bless them. He alone can supply what is needed and what we lack. See, he is still the king. He is still the abundant one who provides for his people again and again. He's still feeding us with bread in the wilderness. So in the face of the kingdom challenge we've considered, let's rejoice in our dependence on Jesus. Let's be encouraged. Jesus loves to use us. We do have a role to play. He does want to enlist us as his apprentices. But our role is always dependent on him. He has the resources. He makes the difference. We need him to do it. And he calls us to be caught up in that work of sharing what he's given to us with others around us. 
But that's great news because Jesus cares more about his mission, about his kingdom being proclaimed than even we do on our best days. So let's grasp our limitations and grasp his fullness. Encouraged to meet the kingdom challenge by depending on Jesus. We can meet the kingdom challenge as we depend on Jesus. We don't have to go through weeks of reality TV to hear those wonderful words. You're hired. As kingdom apprentices, that's what Jesus has already spoken to us. And we've seen something of what that means this afternoon. It means receiving a kingdom commission being sent out by Jesus. It means witnessing in the midst of kingdoms clashing where people are confused about Jesus. And it means facing up to the kingdom challenge and admitting we are desperately dependent on Jesus. But that's good news for us this afternoon. Individually and together as KCC. See, as we walk together as kingdom apprentices, these realities can help us proclaim God's kingdom well. So let's take up the challenge in the power of God's spirit. Confident that Jesus is still God's king and that God the Father is ultimately working and will use us to bring all glory to his son. Why don't we take a moment of quiet in our hearts just to respond, to reflect, and then I'll pray. But a moment of quiet to respond to Jesus this afternoon. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Lord Jesus, we've considered the kingdom challenge that we've been enrolled for as your apprentices this afternoon to proclaim your rule in your wonderful son, to acknowledge and to present uh, King Jesus to people wherever And whenever we have the opportunity, here, close to home, and to the ends of the earth, for that is the mission that you've left your church uh, until Jesus comes again. And we can't do it. We don't have it within us. It's just beyond us. It's above our pay grade. And thank you, that's precisely the point this afternoon. Please help us to feel our limitation, to, to feel... We just don't have the resources within us so that we might fully lean on you and depend upon you and look to you to to do all that you alone can do in us and among us, to put into our hands the very things that we want to share with others because we can't do it ourselves. May we depend on you as kingdom apprentices this afternoon, Lord Jesus. May we be encouraged that we are empowered by your spirit and sent out, not in the same way as these 12, but in our way as your followers today. Give us clarity around that vision and that reality, we pray, as we walk as a church together this year.
And help us to have courage and confidence to keep proclaiming your kingdom, even when people are confused about Jesus. And people silence or want to silence those who proclaim the kingdom because it's a threat to them in one way or another. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Keep us looking to you, we pray. Father, these are important things and we've just scratched the surface of many of them this afternoon. Please would you meet us and may these things press deeply into our heads and hearts today and in the days to come we ask that we would be kingdom apprentices that receive your commendation, your, your praise on that great last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, would you help us with these things together and on our own we ask for your glory and our joy. Amen.